no, it's okay. That's all right. So um, tonight, to be honest with you, like an hour and a half before this was only when I decided what we were going to talk about. I had no idea. So we shall, uh, we shall discover this together. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about uh, today was I was thinking about God's, um, uh, I guess, activity in our lives. And um, sometimes it's really easy to remember uh, God's activity when we're reminded of it. But then when we're in the middle of like a difficult situation or something like that, it can be hard to recall uh, or, or you get easily shaken um, about whether or not God is active, moving, um, and whether or not he cares. So um, I was reflecting on that, and it, it occurred to me, and I've said this to you guys before, um, but I was reminded again of the fact that, uh, reminded of the fact that the Bible teaches us this practice of memorializing and remembering uh, um, things that God has done for us, whether that be through festivals and, and like seasons, or whether that be through prayers and then kind of different rituals that were done, or whether that be through things like communion um, and stuff like that, that Jesus himself uh, encouraged his disciples to do. Um, and it's not just supposed to be a ritualistic thing where we look at these practices and say, well, I just got to do this a million times every week or every you know, few days or whatever else, or, or just say the Lord's Prayer really quickly uh, anytime I go to bed or whatever. Like, it's not supposed to be a rit- rit- uh, ritualistic thing like that. What it's supposed to be is it's supposed to be a reminder of who you are, who God is, um, and what He's done in your life, and what He wa- and what He's done in history, and what He wants to do uh, in your life and, and through your life. So we're going to talk about memorials today. That's the topic. And um, uh, before we kind of dig into the Bible, I wanted to share with you guys something that Sarah and I do every year. Um, and that is every year. At, on our anniversary, which is the 9th of January, uh, we re- like take stock of the year that just passed. We reflect on it and um, we kind of say, hey, what was good? What was bad? What did we like? And we, uh, and we make like a hope for the future thing, a hope for the next year. And then every year we read that and then go through it and chuckle and laugh and reminisce and it's good times. So I'm going to read you, and Sarah's not here, so I hope she doesn't mind, but I'm going to read you the very first anniversary uh, note that I did. But before that, can someone close the door to the kids? Because it's very distracting. Um, And also, hopefully, they don't slam the doors a million times like they did last week. Okay. Oh, wait. Should I wait for Emmy? All right. I'll wait for Emmy. So this was January 2017? This was uh, written, yes, in January, 9th of January, 2017. So uh, this was literally to the day, our anniversary. Um, and so this is what we wrote. Dear David and Sarah of the future, here we are again, sitting on the banks of the Yarra, reminiscing. One anniversary is down and we're thinking of you guys one year ahead. Did 2017 fly by as quickly as 2016 did? How's Trump going? I hope you have a full-time job, Sarah, and haven't caved into baby pressure. And in brackets, Dave doesn't mind if you do cave, Sarah. Winky face. David, did you pass your exams first time round, or have you had to resit them, you idiot? You should have studied harder. And I did have to resit one of my exams twice. Uh, also, we hope you guys haven't put on any more weight. 
If you have, please don't, uh, uh, please, please stop eating right now and shed them kilos. We hope you guys still feel the love that's so real between us right now. Remember to keep having fun and to keep loving and serving God with everything. Don't lose sight of the big picture. We love you guys and can't wait to reminisce again next year. Love from Sarah and David of the past. P.S. Where's that kitten at? P.P.S. Dave, are you still playing Pokemon Go? If so, <laughs> have I accepted it or are we in talks for divorce? <laughs> Some things change, like, for example, job status and whether or not we have a baby and a kitten. But other things don't change, like not having a kitten and I still play Pokemon Go. <laughs> so the whole thing is, yeah, memorial, memorials, looking back, um, recognizing the things that God does in our lives, the things that he wants to do in our lives and making a marker, a waypoint um, for those moments because they're really precious moments. And they're moments that, as we'll see, can fuel your faith, um, but also moments where you can like take refuge in them and uh, draw strength from them. So let's have a look at the first passage that we're going to look at and pull out your Bible slash phones and check it out with me. Genesis chapter 25, uh, 29. We're going to look at the story of Jacob, and I, prom- I hope, I don't want to promise, but I hope this will not be an hour long, uh, because I would hope that at the end of this, I, I, I really want us to talk about this in, in smaller groups, um, and encourage each other, and also like share with each other, hopefully, some memorials that, that have happened in our own lives. So, so yeah, it, like do this if, I, if I'm rambling, okay? So I... I don't linger too long. Okay, Genesis chapter 29, we're going to read from verse 10. So, the situation right now is that Jacob has just stolen Esau, his twin brother. He's just stolen his birthright, because Esau was the firstborn. And Jacob, through sneaky uh, trickery, he uh, went up to uh, his father and stole the birthright. And uh, now Esau is really angry at him. He's been plotting to kill him. And uh, um, uh, Jacob's mother and father tell Jacob, go flee, run away. But kind of also they say, you know, go uh, meet up with your uncle Laban um, because we want you to get married to a good girl, a girl who's part of the family because that was normal back then. Okay, so uh, Genesis chapter 29 verse 10. This is Jacob on the way to his uncle Laban. Uh, His whole life is ahead of him. He's a young man. Uh, he's just been blessed by his father. Uh, he's essentially been given the birthright and, the, and the, the future promise of the blessing that God has given to Abraham and to his father Isaac. And now it's been given to Jacob. And so, you know, the world is his oyster, but he's all alone and he's out in the, in the wilderness by himself on his way to Laban with a future that's uncertain but full of promise. And this is what we read in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went down to Haran, which is where his uncle lives. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
So, for those of you who don't know, this is literally exactly what God promised Abraham, and it's literally what was passed on to Isaac. And now for the first time, Abraham is hearing it for himself from God. You see, up until this point, uh, to Jacob, God was just a story. God was just the guy that my dad and my grandpa just kept talking about over and over and over again. But now, for the first time, all alone in this area, he is seeing God's presence uh, directly in front of him, and he recognizes that um, God is near, that he's not just a figment of his parents' imagination or some voodoo story, but this is the real living God. And not only is God real, but the promise that God made to his family is also real. So God is choosing to reveal himself. Uh, to him at, at this time and then he says this behold I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it see the revelation struck him that God is here I, I was just hanging out sleeping and just waiting to get to the next part of my destination but God was here and I've just been hanging out in this place where God is. And this, this, this dream, this revelation is filling him with excitement. It's filling him with this, uh, like he's, he's really jazzed up if you can't see it in the story. Hopefully when we read more of it, you'll, you'll be able to tell. He's jazzed. He's like, whoa, God's here in this place. And you know what he just revealed to me. Um, and it's all it's like his dreams are coming true. And what he says then is he said, um, uh, verse 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So, so amazed by all of this he's like, he, he bestows this place with such significance. And then he says this and uh, it says this in verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar or a memorial and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. Uh, or Bethel, or Bethel, but the name of the city was Lazarus the first. Bethel, Beth, Bethel, is uh, means uh, the, the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, "If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all of you, uh, and all of." And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So, okay, Jacob has this profound experience, this dream. God is real. The promise is real. I am the one that will be the inheritance, uh, inheritor of this promise. And he's excited. He's amazed. He's afraid. Um, but he, he says, man, this place is significant. He sets up this rock. Um, that will act as a, as a reminder for him and for his, his family that God spoke this to me. And then he says, I'm going to make a vow with you, God. Because you see, he's still immature. This is the first time he's encountering God. I don't know what it was like for you the first time you encountered God. What you did or how you reacted. Um, you could have come to God with fear. Come on, God. Oh, sorry. Uh, move forward a little bit, guys, so that they have s- some space. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, there's some chairs there as well. 
and there's one here too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, Jacob meets with God, and he's still very, very immature. This is the first time he's met with God properly, really, truly. And Jacob, uh, like many of us, when we first meet with God, we don't really comprehend what's going on. Uh, we have our own ideas of what's, what's going on, what's supposed to happen. Jacob here, out of a sense of fear, out of a sense of ambition, out of a sense of self-preservation, he decides to hedge his bets, double down on what God said. It's not good enough for God to just have said those things and revealed himself and said, I promise, just like for your, your grandfather and your father before you, I promise that you will be the one. He's like, hey, God, okay, if you really will, if you really will keep this promise that you just made, then, then uh, and, and not only that, not only keep that promise, but like protect me, keep me safe, make sure I got food and clothing, make sure that you bring me back safely again. So if you do all of that for me, then I'll call you my God, and then I will give to you a tenth of everything that you give me. He's immature. Like a lot of people give him a hard time for that, but he's immature. We all at some point, particularly when we first came to God, I think we all at some point had an idea of what that meant, wanted something out of God. Um, and you know what? God does not mind. Like, really, God does not mind. Uh, it's not like he rebukes Jacob and then says to him, you know what? I'm going to choose Esau after all. You're a pretty bit of a punk and uh, all that. No, he doesn't mind. Because you see... God knows that it's the journey that changes us, not the revelation, the encounter. It's the journey with him that changes us. And God's committed to Jacob, and Jacob will be committed to God. Um, I remember when I first came to God, it was out of fear. I was afraid, terrified. I was afraid of uh, um, the end times and being left behind. I watched a scary movie that my parents showed me, and I was terrified of being left behind. And so, you know what I did? I said, how do I not be left behind? I just pray. And I prayed. I was like, don't let me be left behind. <laughs> My life is yours. Um, but you know what? If it just ended there, uh, well, that's not, that's not a relationship, right? It's about the journey that comes. So I wonder, what, what memorializes the re revelation that you had with God? The first time you encountered him, like really encountered him, not just heard about him, but encountered him, saw him face to face. What was that like? Did it shock you? Did it awe you? Did it fill you with fear, with wonder, with happiness, with sadness? What, what, what did you feel? What did you set up in your memory as that pillar, that reminder, that memorial that you turned to? What did you say? Is it foolish? Are you proud of what you said to him at the beginning? Or is it like a little bit, uh, look at me, and, and you can see the progress and the journey that has come afterwards. But you see, we should memorialize the revelation of who God is and who he is to us and what he calls over our lives. You should never, ever, when you encounter God, let those moments and those opportunities pass you by without holding on to it, thanking him for it, and reflecting on it and treasuring it in your heart. Yeah? So that's the first memorial uh, that we were looking at. Let's have a look. Oh, by the way, so to prove Jacob's journey, uh, near the end of his life, literally on his deathbed, in Genesis chapter 48, uh, this is what Jacob remembers about this moment. Chapter 48, verses 3 to 5, he says this. Uh, Jacob is talking to Joseph, and he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, which he renamed Bethel, 
um, in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make, you, uh, make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now, he says to Joseph, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came uh, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now, why did I pull that up? Well, the whole thing is that this man, who at the beginning when he encountered God, wants to double down because he's afraid, because he wants to secure blessing, he's ambitious, and all that kind of stuff. Near the end of his life, after journeying with God for all these years, he looks at the promise that God gave to him. And you know what he sees? He wants to bless others. And he says to Joseph, your children who aren't mine, they are now mine to be a blessing to them. And he incorporates them as part of the tribes of Israel who would then go on to, obviously, you know, dot, dot, dot. So, so this man who's focused so much on himself and, and in his first encounter with God, despite the shock, the awe, and the, and the magnificence of it, um, it, it, it still was looking inward. Now he's a man who looks outward and looks towards legacy and future um, and what God wants to do. So let's have a look at the next memorial. Uh, that we can read in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 35. Still Jacob. Still Jacob. So, we're going to read how Jacob came back to Bethel. Um, and the story here, what's happened between chapter uh, 29 that we've just read and 35, is that uh, Jacob is a scumbag. And he goes to, I don't like Jacob, by the way. I think he's a really bad guy. But like, he's got his moments. But anyway, in, uh, in, uh, um, what happens over the course of his journey, his life, he gets taught some real humility by his uncle Laban. And he has to work and labor for 20 years. And his uncle tricks him, just like Jacob has tricked other people before. And uh, he, 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 he leaves Laban with two wives and lots of possessions because God has been faithful to the promise he made, and he's blessed him, even though uh, Jacob arguably did not deserve it. But God has blessed him. And so, he leaves his uncle with wives and children and possessions, and he's a, he's a great uncle. He kind of runs away from Laban because um, he's like, this is an awkward situation, and Laban's a bit of a sticky guy, and like, I just want to run away from him. Little does he know, his wife Rachel, she steals some idols from her father and keeps them. And that later uh, goes on to not only curse her and, and certain elements of the family, but that idol uh, that she steals was not unnoticed by his children, and they actually adopt idol worship as well, um, as you find out in the story. But not only that, uh, he's confronted by his brother Esau, the guy who was planning to kill him because he stole his birthright. But God, again, provides incredible deliverance, incredible blessing. Uh, the meeting, uh, Jacob learns a lesson. He learns humility. And, uh, you know, God takes him through that whole journey. And uh, when he meets Esau, no bad thing happens. In fact, a bit of a peace is struck and, and brothers are, are reunited in a nice way. And then Jacob, he seems to just keep going up and up. And you're like, well done, Jacob. Keep, up, keep the hot streak going. He wrestles with God and God renames him. Jacob meaning, you know, usurper and like, you know, deceit, deceitful guy and like, you know, dodgy dude. Uh, he changes his name from that into Israel. The man who contends with God and humanity of man and, and prevails. What an awesome name and what a very apt name for the people of Israel. And so one thing to another, and that's all great. And then 
we start to see a little bit of a downward spiral where um, his, uh, well, he sees his, he, he sees a bunch of bad stuff happen, but one of the main ones, and particularly just before this next story we're about to read, his only daughter, Dina, um, she's raped. She's raped because they go to a place they weren't supposed to go, and they stay around people that they weren't supposed to stay around. And so she's raped, um, and uh, they are going to be forced into a weird alliance with these people that, uh, that God doesn't really want them to be around. And you know what his sons do? Two of his sons... They go and kill everyone they, to revenge, to avenge their, their sister. And this is a very sordid, dark, twisted affair um, that you, you read in, in, in um, the chapter just before what we're about to read. Um, and uh, Jacob, you know what he does? He's, he collapses. He's like, you've brought ruin on us. We're going to be destroyed. All the surrounding people, they're going to come after us and they're going to kill us and we're going to be destroyed. And uh, then we read this, uh, Genesis chapter 35. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Go up to my house and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau all those years ago. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So, scenario, he's distressed, he's in trouble, he knows that he knows he's done wrong, he knows his family has done wrong, there's been a pattern of wrong, and uh, God calls to him and says, it's okay, I'm still here, I haven't left you. And not only that, but come back to me, come back to me, stop. Stop with this destructive path. Stop and come back to the place of my presence, the place that you call my house. And to Jacob's credit, credit, he does exactly that. Um, And he recognizes that to come back to God's presence means that all the filth and the stuff that he's been lugging around with him and his family uh, these past few years, they need to be left behind. So the idols and all the precious things that are associated with the idols are ditched and left behind. Um, And then they make the journey. Uh, back to the house of God. And then watch what happens when you draw near to God. As they journeyed, verse 5, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. In other words, these people that had been wronged by the, the sons of Jacob who have murdered a whole bunch of people, God protects them. He casts fear so that no one will attack them or pursue them. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, God of the house of God. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Um, Then we hear about Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dying, um, which I shall skip. And verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. God reminds him who he is, who he's turned him into. You're not the deceitful little weasel that you were. You're, you're the man who contended with me and prevailed. Um, he says to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. That blessing that he gives to all humanity, Adam and Eve from the beginning, beginning he reinforces it to Jacob. 
He says, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. God reinstates his promise, his favor, that no matter what you did before, I forgive you. My, my favor, my promise still rests with you. And then, verse 13, God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar again in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel again. Um, so, Jacob realizes what he's done uh, and the evil that he's done. And God calls him back to him. And Jacob repents. And Jacob ditches everything behind that was holding him back from God. And he comes back to God. And you know what? He sets up a memorial to remind himself, to remind his family the times that you repent. Not only should we set up memorials of the times that we first encounter, meet with God, have a revelation of who he is, we need to set up the memorials of the times where we reject the things that keep us from him. Where we reject sin, reject our own selfishness, our own whatever it is that keeps you from God. You need to reject it, come back to him, and then memorialize those moments. Hold them dear and close to your heart. Bury them inside you so that you can keep doing it. And so that it can fuel you for the next time you need to do it. Um, this journey that Jacob has been on, uh, this journey was filled with many ups and downs just like our lives are. Um, I wonder what it is that we need to uh, remember that we've let go of. You know, retreat was all about um, chains being broken and uh, surrendering to God. Um, and a lot of people made commitments to that, uh, said, I'm done with this. I'm, like, this is not who I am anymore, and tried to let go of it. Memorialize that. Put a pillar in the ground. Remember it. Bury it in your heart. It's a moment that's worth treasuring and it's a moment worth revisiting. Um, it's a moment worth observing and thanking God for. How many times do we forget? How many times do we go back to the, the idols and the whatever else that we bury behind and we leave God's house all over again because we forget what we just did before? Or we feel helpless to be able to journey back towards God? Because we feel that he's not going to live up to his promises. Because we feel he's not going to love us or, or keep holding on to us even when we uh, let go of him. How many times do we do that? So memorialize it. Bury it in your heart. Remember who he is. Um, and remember your decisions. Remember the actions that you take towards him. And remember to keep ditching those moments behind. Cool? Last story. Um, Joshua chapter 4. So we read about memorializing the revelation of God, memorializing um, restoration or, or recommitment uh, to God. Now we're going to read about uh, memorializing the faithfulness of God. Uh, so Joshua chapter 4, let's have a look at verses 1 to 7. Again, a bit of background. So the people of Israel, have now generate like hundreds of years after Jacob, um, uh, they have been uh, slaves in Egypt, then they were set free by God. Um, they've made their way through the Red Sea. Um, God split the Red Sea, amazing miracles. And then God gives them the Ten Commandments and says, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. But they stuff up. Like, literally, immediately, they stuff up. 
And what happens is, um, not only do they stuff up once, they stuff up over and over and over again. To the point where God is like, you know what? This generation, you're not, you're not going to enter into the promised land. The thing that I promised to uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, these people are not worthy of this. Like they, they are so like, as God puts it, stiff-necked and hard-hearted that they are not worthy of entering the promised land. So they wander the wilderness for forty years until they've all gone, all these parents and people who lived through the Exodus and all that, they're gone. And now it's their children. And they now are at the foot of the Jordan, the, the River Jordan, and they're about to enter for the very first time uh, the Promised Land, the thing that has been promised to their forefathers for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So this is the situation. Now, they're crossing. You ready? We're going to read from John, Joshua chapter 4, verses 1. When all the nation uh, had finished passing over the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So the scenario, the water is split, the people have crossed, the, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant that has the Ten uh, Commandments of God and the Staff of Moses and Manna and all this amazing stuff of God's faithfulness and His promises. And they're carrying that, it's in the middle of the Jordan, the water is split apart miraculously, all the people cross there, and God says, before you go, before you move on, Joshua, tell twelve people from each of the tribes of Israel to go into the, the river that, that's still dry land right now, go in there, grab a big stone from there, and bring it back onto land, and build up this pillar with all these stones. And out of these stones, uh, you will remember forever what I've done for you today. That God is faithful. That with the box of His presence, the Ark of the Covenant, where God dwells and, and resides, and his, his holy presence kind of uh, is over, Inside that ark, treasures of God's faithfulness. In the midst of the Jordan, a miracle of God's faithfulness. And now these 12 stones, a sign of God's faithfulness. Right? But let's read on. Have a look at verses 19 to 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, so he's just said, you know, remember that these stones will be a memorial always of God's faithfulness of how we crossed the Jordan. Now look at, look at what he says. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
So he doesn't just say that he was faithful, that he, he acted faithfully, but just like he acted faithfully in the past. And then he adds this additional clause, in the same way that he has been faithful and he is faithful now, so he shall be faithful. So fear the Lord your God. Now, fear in this situation does not mean be, a, like, be terrified, run away from him, he's going to kill you or whatever else. It, in fact, means kind of the opposite. It means be in awe of God. Be in such awe that God has done, has done what he has done, is doing what he is doing, that you can trust that he will do yet again what he wills to do. It is the memorial of the faithfulness of God. How many times do we see God act in our life faithfully? Or do we remember that God acted faithfully? And yet the very next time there's another body of water in front of us, we don't know whether or not God's going to split it. We aren't sure if he's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore as he promises to be. How many times do we doubt? So don't forget that God is faithful. Don't, <clears throat> don't forget to memorialize the times that you recommit, recommit and, and restore your relationship with God. And don't forget to memorialize the revelations of God as you come across him time and time again as he reveals himself to you. Um, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we um, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that um, you're a God who uh, wants to journey with us. You're a God who loves us so much that um, no matter what we do in our lives, you're committed to us, uh, that you, com- you were so committed that you died on the cross for us. Um, and Lord, that you want to reveal yourself to us. You want us to be in close relationship and journey with you, even if that means turning away and coming back when we've made a mistake and that you want to show us how faithful you are um, and trust in you with everything that we have. Lord, I pray that we would do these things, and I pray that you would guide uh, the time that we have together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So.